If you will, please uh, turn. We're going to be in Jeremiah 18. The passage is going to be starting in verse 1, and we'll work through verse 12. But 1 through 4 is really going to be the brunt of the message today. Let me read that. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for your hands of mercy. Thank you for your hands of shaping and molding and guiding. And I pray, God, that through this message, we will hear that ring loud and clear. I pray, God, that as we leave here, we will be ever so mindful of just how caring and loving you are. God, how you are a God of second chances. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today is show and tell. I didn't know if y'all knew that, but I have brought something that um, I made, and uh, it was about three or four years ago, we went to Gatlinburg, uh, me, Leslie, and the kids, just for a long weekend getaway, and the thing that we loved most about that entire trip was we went up to the Artisan Center. Uh, they have woodworkers, they have uh, pottery, uh, they have uh, broom makers, candle makers, all kinds of things. And, and we went in there, and I've never made anything with pottery before. And there was this guy, he had a shop, he was a really, really cool guy. And we went in there, and we just asked him, hey, do you teach lessons? He said, well, yeah, I do. And he scheduled us in for a time later on that day, and we went um, and met with him, and he took us to this little room. There was four uh, potter wheels set up, and he set us down, each one of us at, at a wheel, and he brought out the clay and set it down on, in front of each of us, and we were going to make mugs. And it was not easy. <laughs> You know, you sit there and you see these guys work with that that clay, and it just looks effortless. I mean, the guys, I mean, they just have those hands that just shape and caress, and they mold, and they uh, convince that clay and manipulate that clay to do what they want it to do. And I'm sitting there watching him do this, and, and here it is. I have this, each one of us has, I think it was about a pound and a half of clay, and he puts water on it, and uh, I you got to start out with the base, and you got to, I mean, it, you got to knead this clay. You got to get all the air out. You got to get it softened up. I mean, you got to get it ready to really work with because if not, it's going to be resisting you even more the entire step of the way, every step of the way through the hot entire process. And here it is. I'm looking around. I'm like, I can do this. I got this. And here it is. I have my pound and a half of clay, and there's my little clump, and I look over. And sitting on a shelf, this guy has a, a vase that is probably 18 inches. It's about this tall. 
I mean, it was beautiful. You know, it was, it was flared out and, and had all this decoration and a half. So I asked him, I said, how many pounds of clay did you have to work with for that? He said, 25. 25 pound clump of clay that this guy had to work. And here it is, I'm sweating and grunting with my pound and a half. Anyways, by the time we were done, I mean, you had to go through the entire way. You had to establish the base, and then you had to push, and you had, you had to hold your hand just right. And that's the only time I've ever let another hand put his, a man put his hands on mine. Because, <laughs> because as, as he's teaching, he's like, look, I, I know this is awkward, but I got to show you with my hands. I'm like, all right, let's just do it. Let's just do it. We're not going to talk about this ever again. So this guy puts his hands, and it was almost like that ghost moment, you know, from the, that movie from the 80s where it's got a, what was his name, uh, Patrick Swayze, you know, kind of moment. But not really. I'm just kidding. But anyways, this guy, this guy put his hands on mine, and he's like forcing my hand to do exactly what he's telling me to do. And it was, it, it was very difficult to get that little clump of clay to do what I wanted it to do. But in the end... I finished, and I had me a mug, and I was so proud of it. And so here is my coffee mug. And I want you to imagine spotlights, beams of light coming down from heaven, shining on this coffee mug right now, and an angelic choir singing in the background. Because this is my masterpiece. This is my workmanship. You know, this is, this is what I put so much time and effort into was that coffee mug. And if that falls off and breaks, I'm probably going to cry in front of everybody. But I'm going to leave it right there. But that, that is my experience with pottery. And I, I actually ended up loving it. We, we, from that entire weekend, the one thing that we talk about through the whole trip was going there and making our coffee mugs. Why? Because we got to sit down, we got to create something, and this one little thing we love, and each of us has one, and it was a time that we spent as a family, and so it was, it was one of those moments that just is ingrained as a, as a treasured memory that we have. So whenever we talk about this vision or this, this, this message that God had Jeremiah see, you know, this really strikes home for me. Um, this passage, uh, is, we, in the context of history, historical con- uh, context, what, what's been going on is Jeremiah is the prophet, and he's, he's down in the southern kingdom of Judah, right? And the time frame of this is around 600 B.C. So uh, just to give you a little uh, contextual history here, um, Jeremiah's ministry started around 627. It says that his ministry started in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. And Jeremiah started out when he was 16 or 17 years old. That's, that was whenever God called him to be a prophet. And he was 16 to 18 years old when, at, that, at that time. And this, in this moment, you got to understand, there was, there was, this is whenever... The kingdoms, the, the northern kingdom had already been sent into exile by Assyria, and that was in 722 B.C. This is closer around to the early 600 B.C., and uh, so it's been over 100 years since the northern kingdom was taken over by Assyria. And Jeremiah's whole entire ministry was set up to warn the southern kingdom about God's coming judgment. 
and that his coming judgment was going to come in the form of exile, the same as the northern kingdom if they didn't change their ways, turn from their ways, change their hearts, and, and turn back to God. Now, they have been doing everything from idol worshiping, uh, human sacrifice. They were, they were worshiping God Malek in, in some cults, and that was a God that uh, they had human sacrifices for. You had Baal worship. You had um, temple prostitution going on. I mean, this was really, the southern kingdom was really no different than any other uh, land, any other nation that surrounded them, that, they had, that God had brought them into promised land to take away, to get rid of, so that they could establish themselves in the land that he had promised them. And now they're at a point to where they look no different than anybody else there. So in this story, you have Jeremiah, and God comes to him and he says, hey, I want you to go down to the potter's house. Jeremiah says, okay. He goes down to the potter's house, and Jeremiah sees the potter at his wheel. And you have the, you have the, the potter, you have the wheel, and you have the clay. Now the potter has this clay, and it says here, so I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. And one thing I want you to think about on the, with the potter, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about each one of these aspects, and then we're going to go into, okay, well, what does that mean for us? What does that look like for us? Okay, so just bear with me while we work through this message, is that the potter has complete control over this clay. Now, Jeremiah has noticed that the potter is at the wheel, and he has this clay that is it's spoiled, it's marred, it's, it's got something wrong with it, whether it was a defect, whether it was, he didn't specify what, he just says that it was marred in a way. But instead of casting this clay, this clump of clay, to the side and starting over anew, the potter takes it and reshapes it. Now the wheel that he's sitting on or sitting at, they're, they're, the potter's wheel was set up by, by two stone discs, or it might have been wood disc in some places, but it was on a vertical axis. It was two stone discs connected by a rod, and the potter would sit down at, these, or at this disc, and he would kick the bottom one with his feet. And that's how he got the wheel to turn. And that's how he would manipulate the, the speed, uh, the direction, and everything for whenever he was doing, um, creating the pottery. It says at the, at the wheel, and that literally translates to at the two stones. So that's, that's why I kind of pulled that out. I thought that was really cool whenever I found that out, that it, was, it literally means at the two stones. And then you have the clay that has been spoiled. It's, it's got something wrong with it of some kind. And as I was looking into this, like, okay, well, what does that mean? What does it mean for clay to be spoiled? And I was reading a doctoral dissertation by um, a doctoral candidate at another university. And this guy has spent decades as a, as a potter. And he was getting his doctorate in biblical counseling. 
But it was really cool because he took this passage and he, and he, he broke it down from a potter's perspective. And he actually talked about all of the different things that could have been wrong with the clay. And some of them are either the potter added too much water, it was too muddy, he didn't have enough water, so it was really dry, really hard. But the one thing that he said that really brought it to life for me was that he said that more than likely what it was was there was a defect, there was a contaminant. There was something within that clay that was causing it to be marred as the potter was working with it. And as I think about that, I mean, isn't that true? I mean, for what gets in the way of God working with us and working in our hearts is the sin in our lives. I mean, that sin in our lives is the marring. It is the defect. It is the contaminant in our lives, in our spirits, that caused that separation between us and God and that God is steadily working with. It says this clay on the wheel was not suitable for the vessel the potter had designed. So he, he had a purpose for that, for that vessel. He had created originally this vessel for a specific purpose, but because of the marred clay, because of that defect, it was no longer suitable for his original purpose. Like I said just a minute ago, instead of casting to the side, instead of going and throwing it away and starting all over with, he recreates it into another vessel. One that he thought would be good and for another purpose. The quality of the clay determines what the potter could do with it. Just as the potter reshaped the clay, Yahweh is free to change his original purpose. If you look over to verse 7, it says this, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now therefore say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, this is in vain. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. See, Yahweh the potter was dealing with a clay that was resistance to his purpose. The nation of Israel had completely turned from God, and here it is, Jeremiah was sent to give them this message to reveal to them and to bring to light what it is they were doing against their God and how they were no longer acting as the original vessel that God had created. And God says that if I have set destruction and doom upon a nation, and yet that nation turns from it, turns from their evil ways, I will relent. If this 
kingdom I have set up to build, to plant, to bless, to prosper, turns from me, then I will bring doom upon them. So you got to ask the question, okay, well, what does this message have to do with me? What is, what is this purpose? And we can take it all the way back to the original vessel. Think about it. Think about the original vessel, the original creation that God had. In Genesis 1 through 3, we have creation, and everything was good, and it had a purpose. Man had a purpose. Creation had a purpose. Everything had a purpose. But because of the marring, because of the sin that came in, God is reshaping that vessel. While the original vessel was marred by sin, God has the power to reshape for his purpose. Each one of us has a marring. Every one of us has a defect. Every one of us has a contaminant. You know, as the potter is is trying to work and, and shape and mold us as his vessel, we are constantly resisting in one way or another. Think about it. If if I would have been forming and shaping this, this mug, this beautiful example of creation right here, and it would have had a wood chip in it, what do you think would have happened? It would have made something that was already almost impossible for me to complete even more impossible because now I'm having to deal with something that is creating streaks or creating breaks within the clay, and it would be resisting me all the way. And so when I read this, it makes me have to really reflect, okay, well, what is getting in the way in my life for God's purpose for my life, right? What is, what is getting in the way? What is my marring? What is marring me right now? What is spoiling my clay continually that I need to deal with? Because I don't want to be a clump of clay that is constantly resisting God's shaping and molding in my life. Whether it's, it's lust, whether it's pride, whether it's some of us gossip, some of us have issues with identity, some of us have issues with self-esteem, some of us have issues with, uh, in our marriage or selfishness. You know, whatever that is, every one of us has something that we're dealing with. Every one of us feels like at one point in our time, like we're not good enough. I have to fight the, the urge some, a lot of times of just thinking, there I go again. I'm marred up. My clay's messed up. What's God going to do with that? How is God going to take that and do anything with it? And the one thing that we always have to remember is that our sin is never too great for God to do something with. We cannot, we must not underestimate the seriousness of the effects of sin, but we cannot overestimate the power of God's grace. 
You know, it's through grace we're saved through faith. And no matter how it is, no matter how bad it is, no matter how bad our marring is, no matter how bad we think we are, we're never too bad for God to be able to do something with and work with. You know, in Ephesians 2, verse 9, it says that we are his workmanship. And the word that we derive workmanship from is actually the Greek word for poema. That is the word that we actually have the word poem from. And whenever I think about a poem and that saying that we are God's poem, that we are his workmanship, I think about the, the time, the love, the, the dedication, the focus, the craftsmanship that goes into creating something like a poem and creating something that, that has so much meaning behind it and thinking that that's who I am to God, that we are his workmanship that he is sitting at the potter's wheel, lovingly, caressingly guiding our shape, our form, all along the way. In Ephesians chapter 2, it's, I'll probably bring, I have, a, I have a, a, a habit of bringing this passage into almost everything I talk about because it was the passage that really showed me God's love for me and his care for me. And what he says and what Paul says in this passage is that while we are children of wrath, sons of disobedience, carrying out the desires of our body and minds and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So you have the, you have the potter at the wheel, right? You have marred clay, you have the potter, and then you have the new vessel. Here it is in, in Ephesians 2, Paul is saying, you have a broken person. You have somebody that is a child of disobedience, children of wrath, but God, and you have salvation by grace. And to me, whenever I read through that, that's where all my hope lies. Now, for what purpose? What purpose are we made for? What is this new vessel? When I think of a vessel, my mind automatically goes to 2 Corinthians 4, 7. And Paul has been talking about the light of the gospel, and he says this in verse 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And here, I mean, he's saying that the light of the gospel, let me back up and I'll read from six. It says, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. What's the treasure? The gospel. The knowledge of Christ and the salvation that we have through him. You have these jars of clay, these weak vessels, these mundane, you got to think back in this time, jars of clay were like 
plastic cups. You know, they were, everybody, that's what they used for everything. There was nothing important about them. It was just they used for everyday life. If you dropped it, it shattered. And yet what he says is that these jars of clay contain a treasure. You have this object, this brown hardened clay that was formed into the shape for a container. There's no importance to this this container, this vessel. What gives it the importance is the treasure that it contains. If I have a 20-carat diamond and I got it sitting in a solo cup, that solo cup just came really important. That solo cup now has value because why? Because not because of itself, but because of the treasure that it contains. We're never too spoiled for God's grace. We are never too ruined. We're never too broken. We are never too marred. But the most important part here is what he says, starting in verse 7 that I read. And the reason why it's so important is because it shows what has to be done on our part. God has created us for a purpose. And when we're not living up for that purpose, whenever we're not the living as the vessel that he has created, he's not going to give up. But now he has to repurpose us. And that repurposing happens through Christ. What that takes is submission. What that takes is repentance. That's why he says in verse 7, if I have set destruction for a nation, if I have set this nation up for destruction, yet they repent, they turn, that's what that means, they turn from their evil ways, meaning they turn away from, they repent, then I will relent in my wrath. And so it takes a change of heart. Jeremiah speaks of this change of heart in chapter 31, verse 33. It says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What he says here is that that law that I gave you written in stone... There's going to come a time to where it's not going to be written in stone, it's going to be written on your heart. And for that to happen, you have to have a change of heart. For that to happen, you have to repent of your sins, you have to turn from your ways, and you have to trust and submit to me as your God. In 1902, uh, Adelaide Pollard uh, wrote a hymn that all of us are familiar with. She was trying to become a, a missionary. She had a, a natural gift for teaching, and she was known as a, a, in a 
for her, her teaching as a Sunday school teacher in a girls' school. And she felt God's calling to be a missionary in Africa. And so she went to Africa for a very short amount of time, right before World War I. And then uh, because of the war, I'm assuming, uh, she ended up spending most of the time during the war in Scotland. It says she came back to the United States and she was trying to raise funding. She was trying to get up, uh, organize another trip to go back to Africa, but she, it just kept failing. And this was, this was a time in her life to where she didn't know what God's purpose was in her life. And it was at a prayer meeting that one of their elder members prayed aloud. And it was based off of her really feeling the loss of purpose in this, in, during this time in her life, not knowing what God had in store for her, what his will in her life was, and hearing this prayer of this uh, uh, church member led her to write one of the um, most known hymnals. This prayer was simply, if it really doesn't matter, it really doesn't matter what you do with this, Lord. Just have your way with our lives. It was in 1902 that she wrote this hymnal, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. It says, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Have Thine Own Way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after Thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. That yielded and still means somebody standing there in complete submission and obedience. Not fighting against the hand of the potter as he's trying to mold and, and manipulate and shape and create that vessel that he created you to be, but one that is com in complete submission and at the mercy of his hands. This, this message ultimately is a message of hope. It is a message showing God's mercy for sinners, for wayward nations, for all of us. Yielded and still, complete and total submission and obedience to His will one thing I have to constantly remind myself of and to focus on is that I pray not for my will, but his will, because Tim wants his will. Tim wants to, to, to be influenced by what I want. There are many times to where I have to catch myself and check myself because I'm praying for things that I want and not the, for the things that God wants for me. And so I pray that God's will for my life becomes my will for my life. My desires are driven by his desires for my life. So let this be your, your prayer, that you submit to the shaping hands of the master potter and allow him to mold and guide you to his purpose, to his will, and not our own. Let me pray. Father, we just want to thank you. Thank you for second chances. Thank you for mercy. 
Thank you for your grace. God, when we are not living according to your will and your purpose, God, I just pray that your, your hands will, will mold and shape us back to the shape that we're supposed to be. Not being led and, or guided by our own wills and our own hands, but simply by yours. Lord, that we don't become a clay that is to, resistant to everything that you're trying to do. God, that we just give in to your hands of mercy. Lord, I pray that tonight, that if there's anyone here, I pray, God, that you will just prick their hearts. Show them that your way is a better way. Now, God, it's, you could always work with the clay that we are. It's in your name we pray. Amen.